0: Alright, let me again, I just uh, want to welcome you here on Resurrection Sunday. If you didn't know that this was Resurrection Sunday, that's what it is, and now you know. And the reason that we call it Resurrection Sunday is because this is the day that we celebrate the fact that Jesus is not dead. It's as simple as that, that we believe that Jesus Christ, though He died and though He was buried, He isn't dead anymore. And that's what separates us from every other religion in the world. And so again, if today is your first day, let me just say welcome here. Now, and and I just, I will be honest with you. I just want to level with you. I know that for some of you, like it took a lot to get you here. All right, if we can just be honest with each other, it took a lot to get you here. Like, you probably, again, like, wrangled the kids up. You had to grab them by the collar, throw them in the car. Some of you, your wives, had to make you go to JCPenney this week to find the best suit or to find the best colors for you to wear. And I guarantee that some of you this morning, you probably hit snooze about 10 times, but you're here, right? Like, you're, just give yourself a pat on the back, like, you made it. All right, give yourself a pat on the back, you're here. But I'm sure that if we're honest with ourselves, there's some of you this morning that might still be asking the question, so what? So what? What does it matter? Like this guy or this early century peasant that we know of, we believe that he had a bunch of followers and he died up on the cross, like I get that, I understand that. I get that He died on the cross, I get that He came back to life, but I really just don't understand what it even means for me now, so what? Like, who cares? And I'm glad that you asked that question, because that's where we're going to be this morning. I'm, I'm glad that you're asking that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 3. That's where our church has been over the last several weeks and kind of months at this point. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can see it right over there at our Connect table. That's a Bible free of charge for you. You can have it. It's yours to keep. But we'll be in Acts chapter 3 this morning. And if you don't know much about the book of Acts, I'll kind of catch you up to speed. Okay, This is after we believe that Jesus has already died. This is after He's already resurrected. And this is after he's already kind of post-resurrection gone back to heaven. And this, the book of Acts, is where we get how the church came to be. How what we're doing here, okay? What you see this morning, what you see Creekside Church doing, it started right here in the book of Acts where a bunch of people started to get together where they said, hey... I believe in Jesus, I believe in this thing that has happened, you believe in Jesus, you believe in this thing that has happened, and they started to come together where they would worship together almost daily, sometimes weekly, where they would get together, they would sing songs, they would offer a prayer together, they had a lot in common, they had this community that was built off of the belief that Jesus is alive. And so for these specific believers right here, this is not long after Jesus has already, Jesus' history has already come and gone. This is not that long after that. And so they are on fire. You know what I'm saying? Like, they really, really, really believe that this stuff has happened. And it's changed their lives forever. And so that's where we'll be in Acts chapter 3. If you got it, say, I got it. Okay, we'll wait for the rest of you. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and the words will be up on the screen. It says, now... Peter and John were going to up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This isn't exactly like a church that you would see here today. This is kind of like a, a temple back in their time. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Now, you've got this man who can't walk. All right, like he can't walk, it says that he's lame. People have to basically carry him. And what they would normally do is they would take this crippled man and they would take him to the temple. They would set him down right there, and anybody entering the temple would just give him whatever they had, would give him some money, kind of donate to him. And they felt bad for him, just had a little bit of sympathy for him. Listen to what happens here. Verse 3 Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So he's asking them for money. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They said, this is the beggar. Isn't this the guy that we walk past? Isn't this the guy that we see all the time asking for money? He's up. He's walking. And it said that as they saw him, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, this crippled man is hanging out. He's literally just sitting outside the gate there. And he's, he's basically just asking for money, something like you would probably see in downtown Charleston, or a big city or something like that where you see the broken and the desolate and the poor. And they're just waiting, just begging for something to happen. Begging fee- people for money. You, but you see, here's the thing. In this particular culture, if you couldn't walk and if you had basically lame legs or if, if you were you know kind of couldn't produce something for yourself, couldn't work, you were literally an outcast of society. You were outcast. You were seen as no good. You couldn't contribute. You couldn't work. Like your family kind of would disown you. There were people that would even literally be sent outside the city gates. Sometimes they would even look at these people as curse. What have you done? What mistake have you made in your life? What mistake did your parents make in life that you're like this? You see, these were the outcasts, the poor, the vulnerable. Now, maybe this morning you can't necessarily identify with this lame man who was crippled, who couldn't walk. But what I can guarantee you is that every single person in this room knows what it's like to be vulnerable. Every single person in this room, we know what it's like at times in our life to be helpless, where we can't help ourselves, where we can't produce anything, where we can't muster anything. We can't bring up the, the courage, where we can't bring the strength. We cannot help ourselves, and we are completely helpless and vulnerable. And if you're like me, I guarantee you, you've been through it at a time in your life as well. And if you haven't been there, I guarantee you will one day in the future. Maybe some of us this morning, you've had marital issues, family issues things going on at home where you're just constantly at war with your spouse, constantly at war with maybe a past boyfriend or just family issues where you never get along with family. Maybe some of you this morning, you've got money issues. Ain't it right? Like I've been there, you know, we've all been there. Where some of you maybe this morning you're here and you've lost a job. Maybe some of you have Watch loved ones suffer. And it wasn't necessarily you going through the physical ailment, but you've seen somebody that you love, that you hold dearly, go through something incredibly traumatic. Maybe some of you have had a bad breakup. Something that just shook you to your core and changed you forever. Every single one of us knows what it's like to be vulnerable. We know what it's like to be just like this lame beggar. We know what pain feels like. But you see, here's the thing about human nature, and I know this to be true about me, and I guarantee it's true about you too. We don't like pain. We don't like pain. If you like pain, raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. That would make me a fool up here. None of us like pain. None of us like to be vulnerable. We don't like to leave ourselves out there in the open. We don't like to have wounds and scars for people to see, for people to notice. And so what we try to do is we try to fix our vulnerabilities, right? How many of you ever try to fix a vulnerability? How many of you try to fix your own brokenness? Every single one of us, we've tried to fix our own brokenness, some of us this morning, we've turned to some to type of self-medication, not medification, that's not a word, but we've turned to self-medication where some of us have turned to literally medication. It's like, man, I just need something to numb the pain. Some of us have turned to some type of alcohol. Some of us in here this morning have turned to pornography, turned to an addiction of just work, 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 work. Some of us, literally, we come home at the end of the day and we turn on the TV, just something to numb our minds, something to make the pain go away where we just don't have to think about it. Some of us have turned to success or status in the workplace. Some of us, even this morning, this might sound crazy, some of us have turned to religion. When we said, man, I got this problem in my life. I need to to turn to religion because if I do all these things, if I do this, don't do this, if I just turn my life around, I guarantee you that I can fix the problem. I can fix my vulnerability. I can fix my own brokenness. And every single time we try to self-medicate, we just make the problem even worse. Am I right? I know I'm right. I've been there myself, and if you're honest with me this morning, you've been there too. You see, this lame beggar that's sitting outside the gate, as he's sitting there asking for money, I guarantee you, he knew that money wasn't going to fix his problem. He couldn't imagine something else greater that would fix his problem in much in the same way. You know deep down that none of those things that you're trying are going to fix it. Deep down, every single one of us knows that those things aren't going to fix the problem. And so Peter, he gives them exactly what he needs. He doesn't hand them a few bucks. He says, here, rise, get up, and walk. Some of you this morning, you need that very thing in your life to rise, to get up, and walk. And so here's the good news this morning, is that God cares for the broken. God cares for the outcast. God cares for those that have been pushed to the outside of society. God cares for the marginalized. He cares for the broken. He cares for them so deeply. And maybe that's your story this morning. And you might be saying, I'm I'm broken. Just tell me how to fix it. Just tell me how to get out of it. That's really the question that we're all asking, right? So how do you get what you truly want? How do you get healing? How do you find fulfillment this morning? And the bottom line, if you don't take anything else away from this at all, the bottom line is simply this, that a resurrected Jesus has power to fix brokenness. That a resurrected Jesus has power to fix brokenness. Look with me at verse 11. Verse 11 it says that while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, they ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. So, so they see this man, he gets up and he's walking. And he starts walking around, he's you know, skipping around, acting himself a fool. And all the people that are around, they see it, they're witnesses to this, and they just, they just like, kind of absorb Peter and John. They kind of move in on them, the crowds are rushing in on them. And this is what Peter says. And when Peter saw, he addressed the people, he says, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at this as though by our own power or piety, meaning religiosity or our holiness, our, our religion, why do you look at us and say that we have made them walk? It says that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob The God of our fathers, He glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when He had decided to release Him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You see, in the last few days of Jesus' life, He went before one of the rulers there named Pilate. And He went before Him, and it was kind of this court scene setting, where all the Jews were basically standing before this Roman, this Roman leader, this Roman governor, and they were begging Pilate, put Jesus to death, put Jesus to death. And Pilate would look at Jesus and he says, I don't see anything wrong that he's done. I don't see any fault in him. He hasn't committed any crime. And they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him, put him to death, put him to death. And finally, it became so much aggravated there in the courts that it finally became to the point where the people were about to riot. They were literally going to riot and cause a scene there and literally come to blows if Pilate didn't crucify Jesus. And so what he does was he has this man there named Barabbas. And it was a traditional custom for for this time of the year that a prisoner could be released to the people. But this Barabbas, you see, he was a criminal who tried to lead an insurrection against the Romans. He tried to lead against them and become this own ruler, and he killed many people. And it says that right there in the the courts, that this man named Pilate, that he trades over this Barabbas, this murderer, this killer. He trades them and releases Barabbas out into the people. And he says that I will take Jesus, and we will have him crucified. And so whenever it says right there, Whenever Peter says that you denied the Holy and Righteous One and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, what he's talking about is he's talking about you traded Jesus Christ who had done no wrong for a murderer in this Barabbas. Verse 14, you denied the Holy and Righteous One and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the, absence, in the presence of you all. You see, a resurrected Jesus has power. Let me say that again. I don't think you got that. A resurrected Jesus has power. And that doesn't mean that Jesus, before he was dead, doesn't mean that Jesus, before he was resurrected, didn't have power, but he has a new type of power. How many of you are Lord of the Rings fans? All right, good. All right, I got a brotherhood in here. Lord of the Rings. We got to stick together. Some of us, they, they think we're weird, but we know the truth. That Lord of the Rings is awesome. Gandalf the Grey, right? He's got... Y'all probably think I'm crazy if you this analogy. But Gandalf the gray, he dies. He comes back to life. He's Gandalf the white, right? Gandalf the white, he's got a totally different new power. Not that he didn't have power before, but he's got a whole brand new power. Something that's incredible, something that's totally different, full of light. Jesus here has a different brand new type of power. And it's not hokey, it's not cheesy, it's not fiction, it's real. It is a real power. And he uses those words there. Peter uses those words. He says, whom God raised from the dead and in his name, by faith in his name, this man has been made strong. You see, we typically don't call things out from dead people. All right. We don't typically call things out and say, I need power, I need power from a dead person. We don't typically do those things. There is some dark magic out there, but what we, true, what we know to be true is that there's no power in things that are dead. There's no power in things that aren't alive. Dead grass isn't green, dead trees don't produce fruit, dead men don't wear plaid. Like Dead people can't do anything. Dead people have no power to produce. And so whenever he says right here, in the name of Jesus, if Jesus were dead, there'd be no power to raise this man to walk. But because Jesus is alive, there's power. If Jesus were rotting in some Jerusalem grave, there would be no power in the name of Jesus to raise this guy, to make him walk again. And so I just want to say to you this morning, if you're broken, if you need healing, here is the power of the resurrection, miraculous healing. This is the power of the resurrection, miraculous, miraculous ways to fix our brokenness. But you see, it doesn't just stop there. Because you still might be asking the question, okay, 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 I get it. I get that Jesus has power. I get that He's alive. But how can He fix my personal brokenness? How does He know what it's like to go through what I'm going through? How can He identify with me? Look along with me right at verse 16. It says, And by His name, by faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance as your rulers did. He's basically saying, yeah, you made a mistake. You killed Jesus. You put him on the cross. You made a big mistake. He says, I know that you acted in ignorance. You didn't know the truth as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer... Thus he fulfilled. You see, the men, women, and children that were standing here, they didn't think that the Christ, the one that they had been waiting on for thousands of years, was supposed to come and suffer. They thought that this Christ was going to come and be a literal king with a literal crown, with a literal throne, with a literal scepter, and with a literal kingdom. They did not think that Jesus or, or the Christ, the one that they had anticipated in the Old Testament and in and, and their folklore and in their, in their traditions in their tales of history, there's going to be someone to come and save us. There's going to be someone to come and save us. But they didn't think that it was going to be somebody to come and save them in the way that you and I might think that we need saving. They thought that someone was going to come and save them from the Romans. They thought that someone was going to come in and step into this kingdom and someone was going to come in and be their literal king with flesh and bones. And so whenever Jesus was whipped before them, they said, oh, he's nobody. Whenever Jesus suffered and was vulnerable before them, they said, "We, it can't be true. He's a nobody. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't exactly what they expected. They thought that their king would never face vulnerability. They thought that their king would never be open to suffering. They thought that this king would never be put on display, especially to the point of death. But you see, that's exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. You see, we talk about the cross. and You might wear the cross. You might see pictures of the cross. You might have see these glimpses of it, you might know a little bit about it. You see, we've made the cross to be something that it wasn't necessarily intended to be. You see, in this day and age, the cross is much like what we would view as an electric chair. And so I just want you to know, if you're wearing a cross, you're wearing like an electric chair. You see, Jesus faced an extreme amount of vulnerability in His lifetime. First of all, he was born as a baby. What is more vulnerable than being a baby? we got a room filled with them over there. Out of the whole room and out of the whole group of people that's here, guess which room is the most vulnerable? That one. Jesus came as the most vulnerable form of humankind. As a baby, he grew up as a peasant. He didn't have wealth. He didn't have riches. He says, he says foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest His head. And you see, whenever Jesus goes to the cross, this is the most vulnerable place that He's ever been. You see, the Romans, what they would do is they, the Romans they, they had created this instrument of torture known as the cross. What they would do is they would take some of the most hardened criminals and they would put them up on the cross. And some, it would last several days for them. And they would take and nail big railroad spikes right there into their wrists where the nail would hit right exactly on the nerve. And the way that you would literally die on the cross is you would have to push up. You have to push up with your feet with scar and tissue right there where your nails are, pushing up on your feet. And every single time you do, you're pushing up, and your muscles, they're even weaker than the last time that you did. And your knees are trembling, and you've got nothing to really push up on. And every time you do, there's an extreme amount of pain. But you have to do it in order to breathe. And so they would just shrink down just like this. And it says that the, we kind of picture it out a little bit differently today, where the cross is much higher and it's on this big place. You see, the cross was laid down just low enough where people could walk by and they could punch you if they wanted to. Or they could hit you if they wanted to. They could hurl insults if they wanted to. They could throw anything that they wanted to at you. And they would leave you there to die for several days. And then after you died, they would take that cross and they would leave your dead body on the cross and they would leave it lining up outside the city walls so that anybody that was entering in, they would say to them, don't mess with us. Or that could be you hanging up there on the cross. And this Jesus Christ whom we worship this morning, this is where he was on a cross pushing up desperate for breath, trying to breathe. Hurled insults at him. It says that he was there for six hours and he was left to die. Not just left to die, but left to die in front of his friends and his family. And he was surrounded by men who were guilty of their crimes, who were dead to rights, caught in the act. See, Jesus never committed any crime. Jesus never did anything wrong at all. You see, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be vulnerable. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be laid bare, to have it all out there. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to experience suffering, and that's exactly why Jesus is able to help us in our moments of weakness because Jesus has been to the ultimate form of weakness, and He's come back to tell us about it. He's come back. You see, my wife and I, uh, we've been married almost seven years, and it's probably about seven years ago she had this horrible car, horrible, horrible car. I hated it. And one morning she come to me, she says, my car is making this awful noise, awful noise. And I'd get in, and it was just awful. You know, like, like man, that just sounds bad. I don't even know what that is. And so being the man, you know, you got to fix your wife's car. And so I went outside, went to the car, lifted up the hood, looked at it, and I acted like I was not, you know, I didn't know exactly what I was looking at. I didn't have a clue. I still do that to this day. I'm like, man, car is messed up. I walk outside, lift the hood. I'm like, man. Uh, I don't know exactly what's going on here. I don't know anything at all, as a matter of fact. But I look like I know what I'm doing, so this is good. That's exactly what I was doing. And, you know, it's the first couple of months that we were married, and so I tried, I, I tried to be the man. Like you know, guys, you try to be the man sometimes. Got to be the, got to be the one. Got to fix the problem. I want to fix my wife's car. I want to fix the problem. So I was out there looking at the car, lifting up the hood. And I was like, I don't, I have no idea what's going. On. So I started driving it around a little bit more, and it was coming from right in the center of the console. So I said, mm, every time we cut the air conditioner on, so it's got to be the air conditioner. It's the air conditioner. we gotta got to go and get that air conditioner fixed. I don't know how to fix an air conditioner. got to take it to the expert. I said, this is out of, my, out of my hands. I don't know how to fix it from here. I don't know how to take care of it. So I finally broke down, took it to the expert. I said, man, i got to be honest. I don't know what's going on. I've been driving around. I've been taking a look at it myself. You know, I, I gave it my guess. And I tried to fix it myself, but I really don't know what's going on. I think it's the air conditioner. And I, as I stood there with the expert, he said, okay, I'll call you back in just a few hours. And sure enough, he called me back in just a few short hours. And he said, yeah, I fixed it. And uh, your brake pads were pretty low. And uh, we got it taken care of. No air conditioner problem at all. You see, sometimes... Whenever you're broken, something needs fixing. It's okay to try and fix it yourself. But sometimes you're so messed up and so low and so broken and so vulnerable that you need an expert. You need somebody who really, really knows what they're talking about. And if you're listening to that, the moral of that story is Not necessarily that I'm an idiot, which I am, and I cannot fix cars. But the moral of that story is this morning, I want you to know, you can't fix yourself. You can't fix what's really, really going on inside of you. You need to take your brokenness to the expert. Listen to what the scriptures say about Jesus hundreds of years before he ever came. This is a man of God named Isaiah. Isaiah says about Jesus, he says that, Uh, Again, a a couple hundred years before Jesus had even actually come. He said, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men would hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You got grief this morning, you got sorrows this morning. Is that Jesus has carried our grief. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed esteem Him a stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but He was pierced for our transgressions and He was crushed for our iniquities. That means our wrongdoings and our sins. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Because Jesus was brought chastisement, He's able to bring us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent... So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation, who considered that he was cut off and out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth yet. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, and he was put to grief. Are you vulnerable this morning? Are you broken this morning? Jesus wants to fix your brokenness. Jesus wants to fix your brokenness, and he gives us the exact solution to that in verse 19. He says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I love those words right there. That a time of refreshing may be brought upon you. You see, whenever he says right there to repent, what he means is to change your mind. He literally means to change your way of thinking. And what he's saying is you need to change your ways of thinking about self-medicating. Change your ways of thinking about trying to solve your own problems. Change your ways of thinking about the literal medicine. Change your ways of thinking about the literal alcohol that you're trying to, to produce in for a solution, change your ways of thinking about pornography. Change your ways of thinking about being enslaved to work and to success. Even change your ways of thinking about religion and just trying to get better as a person. He says, forget all about it. He says, turn to this Jesus Christ, and if you turn, you will find. What does he says? You will find refreshing for your souls. You will find refreshing for your souls. You see Jesus was broken and he was vulnerable, dead inside the tomb, but he did not stay dead, did he? You see Jesus can identify with us because he's experienced the most vulnerable state that there is in our human condition, but he lived to tell about it. And he's not broken anymore see, he was broken and he was on a cross, but now he is alive and he's a king. You see, Jesus Christ is the perfect picture of both vulnerability and authority. He stands now as a king and has the most authority, whereas at one time, he was vulnerable and suffering. And this morning, if you're broken, all he's asking you to do it's just to make him king. To make him king of your life. To bend that knee and say, I'm tired of self-medicating. I'm tired of trying to fix my own problem. I'm tired, of, I'm tired of trying to solve this for myself. And he's saying to find me as king. This morning the band is going to come. And if that's you, if you're broken, and if you're vulnerable, I just want to say to you, there is a solution for your soul. There is a way to find refreshing this morning, and it's only through making Jesus king. And if you need that this morning, if you need refreshing, I just want to say that I'll be in the back of the room. My wife will be in the back of the room. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. If you just need anybody at all, any, anything at all to pray for, anything at all that's going on in your life that you just need to hand over to somebody, I want to say that's why we're here. That's ultimately why we're here. We want to help walk with you through that. And we won't ask for details or anything like that. We just want to be a little extra strength for you. Because all we're going to do is just point you to the King. And so if you need somebody to pray with this morning, we invite you to come and do that. But if you aren't, we invite you to. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, we invite you to to stand to sing and celebrate this morning. Would you guys pray with me? Father, as we come here today, Lord, we truly don't understand the depths. We don't understand the depths of what you've gone through. We don't understand the depths of how vulnerable and broken you came before us to fix our brokenness. We'll never understand the depths at which you went through so that you might be able to save us. But you did it because you loved us. And although we don't know the pain that you went through, although we don't know the amount of sin that caused you to go to the cross, although we'll never understand the weight of our rebellion against you, Even though we're ignorant of that, you still decided to come. And all we know on this side is all we know is we know how much it hurts. We know how much we need you. We know how much we love you. That's all we know. And so this morning we stand, and some of us this morning, we're going to find healing. Some of us this morning we're going to find true fulfillment by a Christ who can touch our wounds. Some of us this morning we're going to we're going to move out of that point of brokenness because we trust in Christ. We love you, Jesus. And we ask this in your name. Amen morning as the band is here and, and they're playing, we invite you to, to stay seated for just a few seconds. They're going to just play softly for just a few seconds. They're just going to kind of play softly, kind of reflect on where you might be this morning. Some of you need somebody to talk to, to come and pray with. And again, I'll be in the back of the room. My wife will be in the back of the room. We'll be praying for you. And I just want you to imagine what could be what are they going to say about you? They were saying about this lame man that he's up and he's walking and everybody was looking and pointing at him and saying, isn't this the guy that sat at the gates? Isn't this the guy who couldn't walk? Isn't this the guy who was begging us? Now, what will they say about you? Isn't he was the one that flew off the handle at everything? Isn't he the one that was just perpetually in, in angst and perpetually nervous, perpetually in anxiety? Isn't she the one that was just this broken alcoholic? Isn't she the... What are they going to say about you like they did for this lame man? Whatever God is calling you to do this morning, we just invite you to be obedient to.